0: Hi and welcome to Beyond Parking, a podcast brought to you by the British Parking Association. My name is Joey and I'm here today with Julian and we both work in the technology, innovation and research team.
1: So here we are again on Beyond Parking and today it's great to uh, do the first of two podcasts that feature sponsors of Parking Scotland. On this occasion, we're going to be talking to two leading members uh, of staff at Ringo and Park Now. Uh, first of all, Managing Director Peter O'Driscoll. And he has some great insights into how COVID has perhaps changed our sector, attitudes towards cashless parking. He also has some great thoughts around the uh, potential for a national parking platform.
0: So we've got Chris Head after that. He is a senior account manager for Ringo and he's going to be giving us much more of a kind of cold face view of what is going on in Ringo right now. And we talk a lot about the the kind of impact of moving towards electric vehicles and how that's going to change the way we are charging um, and how parking works.
1: And if you want to uh, enjoy all of Parking Scotland, just go and visit the BPA website. And you can find on our events page everything that went on there, including some great lunch and learns.
0: Right. Great. Over to the interview. Hi, Peter. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do and how Ringo got to where it is now?
2: So um, my, my my working life began in the Middle East. Um, where I worked for a new setup or startup organisation called Travel Trade Gazette Middle East North Africa, um, and that was a privately funded business combination of uh, TUI, they owned 40% of the organisation at the time, and then the rest was private investors. Um, and my job there was to set up a publication uh, that in effect promoted travel trade between the Middle East Arabian nations, and also brought Europeans uh, and Asians into the Middle East uh, for tourism and travel. Having done that for three years, um, I then moved to a role in car leasing, where I spent five and a half, six years working for a company called Lease Plan, where I, in effect, learned my my tools of the trade in terms of, again, selling and also understanding the bid process and how to build an overarching solution around a client or a customer. From there, I moved to NCP National Car Parks, which is when I entered the parking industry. And there I was responsible for delivering at the time what was their first uh, mobility card called Gateway. It's still there today. I don't know how popular it is, but it, it still exists. I also was responsible for putting in place uh, their season ticket uh, and travel card facility for fleets um, over a two or three year period. I finished that program um, and I was left there as the head of sales and customer services and then moved or was, or was asked to go and join a company called Park Mobile. Um, and if you know the history of Ringo, you'll know that Park Mobile acquired Ringo back in 2012. So when I started at Park Mobile, we had a limited number of people. We had about six or seven people in the UK, and we had about thirty five, 40 staff in the, in the Netherlands. At the time ring go were number two in the marketplace and Park Mobile were number three. and then we emerged and became number one in 2012 or we acquired, should I say. Um, and then from there, the business has gone from strength to strength. Um, so under the it's now called Park now, but under the uh, European umbrella, Uh, We've expanded tremendously in Europe, where we've launched in France and Germany. We're a good presence there. In the Dutch marketplace, uh, we're number one. I have been for, I think, well, at least since I've been in the organisation, which is 12 years now. Um, And in the UK, Ringo's gone from having 25, 30 contracts um, to now having over 150 municipal contracts and probably more than 50 private operator contracts. Ringo's always been out there for me in terms of uh, leading the way in innovation, Um, We were the first to get apps out into the marketplace as an organisation. We were the first to go out with uh, emission-based parking back in 2009, um, when it wasn't that au fait or or that in with with politicians. Uh, And if you look at more recently, we've been first with in-car payments with the JLR launch. uh, And if if you look at Alexa integrations, we've done quite a lot of work. We've always been, from my perspective, leading the marketplace with new technologies and new payment channels for users. Thanks, Pete.
1: And I'm interested in the angle of, of you being part of an international um, outfit with Park mm-hmm. Now, You must um, have conversations with colleagues all over the world and mm-hmm. hear about people who are perhaps a bit more ahead of the curve than we are in the UK and people that um, you, you maybe need to work at a different level of development. it would be mm-hmm. interesting to hear some insights you've got from that experience. Yeah, sure. Um, if I look at Europe initially, um, if
2: you look at Europe as a marketplace, not just our own organisation, Uh, The Scandinavian markets, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, they were really one of the first nations to embrace cashless parking with any scale. Um, And then the the Netherlands wasn't too far behind. Um, So I would say that probably the Nordics uh, led the marketplace, with Netherlands following probably about two to three years later. And then UK followed probably two to three years, maybe four years after that. And then you've seen France start to catch up uh, Germany is probably one of the laggards. It's there in terms of cashless. But if you look, look at digital penetration across German society pre-COVID, I, mean, I remember going to a baker's and I wanted to pay with a credit card and I couldn't. But they had a machine that you put your notes in and it dispensed you the correct change. And you could have to put your coins in and get you know notes back out of it. Uh, so that gives you an idea of how far German society is away or was away from digitalisation. Um, so one of the key things for me is seeing the different levels of digitalization in, in the European markets. And if you look at other things, which is where i seeing a lot of uh, learnings, is around electric vehicle charging. Again, the Nordics are ahead of us. Uh, you know, They've got it integrated as part of the in-car piece. Uh, if you look at the Netherlands, you know they've got a thing where they're charging back, back to grid way before we had it. Um, and you look at the UK, the UK, if you look at the electric vehicle marketplace, there's probably two or three big players out there we could probably name them you know charge master which bp now own and um, you've got source london um they're the two main players at the moment there are, there are other big players in it but these are the two main
1: ones the thing that i I'm, i am interested in particularly um in, we we are looking towards the future with um a national parking platform potentially mm. um the whole um opportunity of, of multi-vendor trading so you, you might be able to use one app to access different parking operators Do you have much experience with that? I know it's quite big in in the Netherlands. Um, So when I first joined the Park Mobile Group um, or Ringo, um, I was tasked
2: with trying to get some momentum with London councils um, to look at the hub. But at the time, the other two players in the marketplace uh, were were privately owned uh, and they didn't want to play that way. Um, And I think if we look at the way the marketplace has evolved, um, it's been tender driven, which doesn't really support multi-vendor cashless parking. Um, but you get to a point like most things where you want ubiquity of service and to do that you need multi-vendor I'm a strong advocate of it Um, you know if my clients came to me and said Pete you know we want to go multi-vendor I would be very open to those conversations and and we've got lots of experience in our own organization in France where in Paris we're providing the multi-vendor hub uh, for Paris we've got a lot of experience in, in the Netherlands where at one time we were the provider of the national parking hub and then the, the government came in play with its own thing and, and took some contracts away. But we still have about 25, 30 installations on the continent. Where we're providing the hub. Uh, and, and what's interesting there is some local authorities want to go down the national platform route as a hub. But others don't want to. They want the independence from the government. So they, they, they still go to private enterprise. Uh, that's on the hub side. And I think if you look at the setup of multi-vendor, it can be as basic as simple enforcement where people just plug in or it can be more in-depth where you've got tariff engine control or you have emission-based parking control in there. So you can have different different eligibility criteria set around the, the, the platform. It really depends on how deep you want the platform to go. My advice to the UK marketplace is let's do it in small bite-sized chunks. We've got to do the first piece, which is let's get the enforcement working, let's get this all plugged in. Then if you want to look at things like tariff APIs or one tariff hub, fine, you, you can do that, but you should do it bit by bit um otherwise you're in danger of biting a huge elephant out rather than chopping it into small pieces and it you know it takes a long time to deliver
0: it's interesting as well i hadn't i hadn't really thought about that but your point about some local authorities not wanting to be on the kind of multi-vendor national parking mm. platform and wanting independence is quite interesting because actually for it to work i guess it it does need to become countrywide doesn't it
2: well there, there's two sides to it um the first side is that the hub is where you see they either want to go to a national platform or they want to go to private enterprise. That doesn't stop you having um, providers, as in the cashless providers, working across both the private provided hubs and the national hub, because from the, you've got to see it's a front end and back end. So provided the front end is enabled in every authority or every private car parker operator, then you can do it. And then what you're then tendering is the back end each time. and The front end is a plug-in and play. Whereas at the moment, if you look at where the market's going, and France is a good example of this, they're tendering both sides of it. Whereas in the Dutch model, they're only tendering the back end. So it saves local authorities money because they're not having to tender two services. Secondly, it also means from a consumer perspective, you're not having to keep re-registering every time you go somewhere. And what it does, it drives... On the consumer side, it drives best practice and the best rated app and the best performing app is the one that people are going to go to. And as a council or as a private car park operator, you know you will have your own back-end reporting and reconciliation requirements. But on the front end, you want happy have your customers. Uh, and that's how you've got to see the marketplace.
1: So I, I, I think you've got to break it up into two pieces. So it's, it sounds like it's, it's going to um, almost revitalise the, the app market in terms of a new stimulus to develop and be the best customer experience when you've got a, you know, all the, the multi-vendor opportunities that come out of it.
2: Mm. Well, I think as well, it also will encourage, um, you know, operators to become more than the parking app, you know, there's a, there's a lot of debate around, you know, bringing charging and parking into the product. Um, now we have a, a sister company in our group at the moment uh, called DCS, uh, where we are, you know, working with them about integration. So you can park and charge in the same product. And, um, and that has to be an obvious thing to do because in seven to eight years from now, you know, according to government, we won't be selling any, any fossil fuel uh, new vehicles. Um, and I think the concept of having your charging payments in car, your parking payments in car, are gonna be a reality. And what's interesting, if you cast my mind back, you know, when I joined phone parking as a business, there was no Apples or iPhones. It was all done on IVR. The enforcement was done through RFID yeah dial the clock forward and it's 70 80 through app in the uk uh, and it's digital enforcement Dial the clock forward 10 years from now yeah app will still be a dominant channel but there'll be a lot more in car stuff happening you know and certainly i see a shift um in how people are going to interact with paying for motor related services and by that i mean the on-demand components like tolling fueling and parking
0: COVID has entirely changed the landscape of parking and no one can really tell how things will pan out. What do you see as some of the key shifts in the market and the potential development over the next few years?
2: It's a really good question. Um, One which I will answer with some caution. What we're going to see is an acceleration of a trend that was already in play. Um, I, I think 12 to 24 months out in major key urban cities, you're going to see at least, if not a complete removal, a halving of the number of payment payment machines that are out on this state. Whether they be contactless or, or coin feed, you know, they're an expensive asset um, c- compared to having nothing on the street. Um, and I, I think it will reduce. And I think what has happened, I don't know about you, but I've got the same £200 in my wallet that I took out in August, um, cash, and haven't touched it. Everything is on card or on, on smartphone or online. And increasingly, I'm finding myself Although my eyesight is going, I'm having to use the app to buy products all the time. Um, so I think what COVID has done is accelerated the move, not just for parking, but for most industry sectors into um, app-based payments. Even going to a restaurant or pub during during COVID, I was getting my phone out and using Apple Pay to avoid touching the terminal. Yeah, and I think as a society, we're going to be so much more conscious of hygiene. You know, we've got children growing up. Oh, now having to wash their hands umpteen times when they do doing anything we've got adults who are more aware of, of their health so i think we will see you know from covid any a greater ramp up into digital i think i read some stats from worldpay and I anticipate in the next 18 months 25 percent of all global payments will be done uh, through app so that's a, that's a big shift from where it was i think what we'll also see is a lot more integration with the off street car parking environment Um, historically the phone parking business is concentrated on you know the uh, traditional curbside parking or the pan display marketplace i think we'll see more integrations with barrier equipment providers um, as we can help bring business to their their car parking estate and again as an operator of car parks you've got to be even more aware of your cost base i don't think barriers will disappear i think the barriers will still stay on car parks for revenue protection but i think you'll see less uh, shall we say on foot terminals might be one or two instead of one each floor um, and I think you'll see more 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 things like that happening. I also think things like um auto payment will become more relevant so in the europe we've got probably about three hundred and fifty car parks maybe four hundred car parks where you register your accounts with with us and then when you arrive at a car park on our on our estate, it does a number plate look up, lets you in lets you out, and builds your account um I see a lot more of that happening in terms of integration. I think it'll take some time to penetrate, but I think that's where the next big shift is going to come as a consequence of COVID and the need to, again, recognise the fact that people want
1: a more seamless experience. Great. Thanks very much, Pete. Take care. Cool. Take care. Cheers. bye And now we move on to Chris Head, account manager at Ringo, and he's going to talk about more what's the actual reality on the streets uh, and, and more of the operational side of what Ringo do. Chris, tell us about yourself. How did you end up working with Ringo?
3: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, really appreciate it. So, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, I've been with Ringo for coming up five years, five years this April. Um, feels like an awful lot longer because um, the old adage of you get into parking and uh, it's very difficult to to get out. Um, but I came here via via the raw mail. So I've got an account management background uh, working for, for the raw mail. Um, but I joined Ringo because they're based in my hometown in Basingstoke all the way back in 2016. Um, and through my, throughout my time, I've looked after, I was checking just, just yesterday, I've looked after over 80 of our uh, local authority and private operator customers at one point or another. My role today is very much focused around looking after a smaller number of our large city um, and uh, large private operator customers. Uh, So I work with the likes of City of Edinburgh, Glasgow City Council and several of our London boroughs working on helping get the most out of the, the Ringo solution, helping them on their journey in most cases to a fully cashless future. So tell me, Chris, what do you think are the main challenges that will be facing local authority
1: and private operators as we move out of the uh, the COVID era? If I can call it that.
3: Yeah, let's hope. Um, obviously, we've seen just this just week of uh, that the plans been announced by uh, the Westminster government to hopefully have that permanent path out of. Out of lockdown, um, I think the challenges, the main challenges facing local authorities as we as we permanently move out, are going to be focused around budgets and revenue issues. So, you know, all local authorities are facing challenging times financially. They were so many of them even before COVID hit. So, you know, things like making solid data driven decisions and uh, around policies focused on reducing costs and even finding new revenue streams, I think, is going to be really important. Um, there's going to be an awful lot of uncertainty about the future of the high street. Um, I think parking is often looked to as one of the silver bullets to help solve decline on the high street or or rather maybe parking charges are sometimes unfairly painted as a a disincentive to visit the high street entirely. So finding solutions that can help address that problem and perception will be be key. Um, And I think transport planning as well. So The way that people travel has changed um, throughout COVID, and I think it's going to change as we come out of COVID as well. Um, Private car patronage increased an awful lot um, straight after the first lockdown in March 2020, and as we came out of that. And I think it's going to take uh, an awful lot of encouragement to encourage uh, members of the public back onto public transport, trains, trams, buses, et cetera. So dealing with that potential for private car usage increases is going to be one of the challenges that every local authority, particularly large uh, local authorities, cities, metropolitan areas are going to to have to face.
0: Yeah, certainly. I'm one of those people who lives in the centre of a city and bought a car during lockdown um, a little bit later into it in the summer. Um, I was just wondering um, how do we move parking up in the minds of motorists so consumers actually value and appreciate it as a service?
3: Yes it's a a really good question it's something that we uh, are motivated by every day at Ringo how do we get parking higher up the user journey we know we really believe that Parking shouldn't be an afterthought. You know, um, we shouldn't be getting too close to where you're going and thinking, right, where am I going to throw the car now? You want to be making a decision ahead of time, ideally, because that's the best way to reduce congestion if you're deliberately travelling to close to where you need to be. So it's about getting as much data in the hands of motorists. We would say um, that's what much of our focus around our app development is on. So it's about providing good data around space availability. That's something Ringo's been doing for many years, and we've got good plans to improve on that and make it as accurate as possible it's about letting them know the price of the parking so that they can make a a decision ahead of time whether they want the closest spot to where they need to be or whether they want the cheapest spot they may be the same thing they may not so it's about getting as much data and information as you can into the hands of motorists Um, and obviously we we in our service you know we we have the power to do that through our apps and online services
1: yes very much i think knowledge is power for the user experience for someone parking isn't it Moving on to the environment, uh, the stated aim of, of Ringo is to make or create cleaner, healthier towns and cities. Could you drill down and tell us a bit more specifically about what Ringo are trying to do to achieve that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So as you say, cleaner, healthier towns and cities, it's a, it's a really it's a great mantra, um, you know, and the green agenda is obviously um, very in vogue at the moment. But, you know, Ringo's got a track history of doing this um, for for over a decade. So we actually introduced the first emissions based parking scheme all the way back in 2010 in the London borough of Richmond. Um, and fast forward a few years, um, Westminster then came along in 2017 and introduced a diesel levy in one of their um, flagship areas around um, Marleybone. And. Um, We've now got six customers that use uh, dynamic pricing through Ringo's emissions based parking tariff engine to dynamically price parking based on a number of different emissions criteria. So that might be your fuel type. It might be the year your vehicle was made. It might be your CO2 grams per kilometre, or it might be a combination of all, all of those. So what we've seen is more and more authorities looking to implement schemes like that, that dynamically price based on those criteria. And then in 2020 and 2021, what we've seen is a need for more what we call net zero parking schemes. So it's not just about potentially adding surcharges to more polluting vehicles and disincentivising those vehicles from travelling into a particular area. It's about promoting cleaner vehicles to travel in. So providing a discount for hybrid and electric vehicles. And we've got a couple of schemes coming up for release in 2021 in a couple of London boroughs that do just that. For example, the London Borough of Islington will be introducing a flat 20 pence tariff for electric vehicles for anywhere that you park on street in the borough which is a, a fantastic initiative and outside of London we've got uh, Maidstone Borough Council who on the, as from the 1st of April will make uh, parking for all electric vehicles completely free. You have to book a Ringo session which enables them to collect the data on where people are parking so they can track the the use of this uh, they can track the trend um, but we think that's fantastic and you know we're really hoping that more local authorities choose to adopt these types of schemes uh, as well you know there are also there are alternatives to these type of schemes such as clean air zones you'll know, everyone's uh, familiar with the ules uh, in london and pretty much every big city in the uk has a plan or is out for consultation for a, a clean air zone of sorts Um, We see emissions-based parking and net zero parking as almost uh, potentially a stepping stone to one of these solutions, but in in many cases, it could be a a complete alternative to one of those type of solutions. If you imagine a clean air zone, um, uh, that's potentially a paid clean air air zone where you have to pay Travel in, you could argue that that maybe incentivizes the motorist to make the most of it. You've paid, you're in, and you want to go around and drive and make the most of what you've paid. Whereas if you link um the the surcharge or the discount to parking, then it's much more ad hoc and it's much fairer, we would say, because you are paying a little bit more or a little bit less each time you park, as opposed to paying a flat rate and then, as I say, potentially being incentivized to drive around as much as you can.
1: Yes, we don't really want to see that, do we? That goes against the grain, and I can see a wonderful tie-in with. Uh... Uh, park active where we, we've got a scheme that's encouraging our operators to uh, to encourage users to, to park in peripheral areas and then use active travel to get to get into the center of a town or a tourist destination um, yeah and, but, how, uh, and how does that, how does a that further conversation <laughs> i was
3: going to say how does that work generally I'm, I'm interested how does that work well um we we've basically we've developed all, all the
1: branding and all the operational guidelines but of course it's uh at this particular moment and when this goes out We are not talking about uh, leaving the home as much as possible. But Mm. uh, as soon as restrictions have lifted, we'll certainly be pushing the scheme and, and encouraging operators to embrace active travel and look at onward active travel options.
3: I I think it also plays a a key part in um, particularly as we look at the the staycation effect um, coming up in the summer so we've got a work stream ongoing at the Ringo at the moment about how can we help local authorities particularly with that staycation effect that many of the coastal towns uh, and regions that we work with are going to face going through this summer I think it's going to be unprecedented it was pretty um, unprecedented last year and there was obviously several cases on the news where there was you know people throwing their cars all over the all over the place PCN's been issued as councils really did struggle to um, cope with the demand for for parking near these um, you know beauty spots and destinations so um, you're right I think that encouraging um, people to get close to where they need to be, um, but then park up and then, you know, take a more sustainable walking route potentially to, to where they actually need to be. And it will be incumbent on councils to, you know, uh, get some pop-up parking in fields or provide any extra inventory that they can. And of course, you know, something like Ringo is a great way to support that because you don't need a, a pay and display machine. You can just throw up a sign, obviously make sure you've got all of your orders in place um, and, and then start taking start taking payments so yeah i completely agree with you um, park active would sounds like a a really great way to support that
1: um, we know that uh, ringo do a lot of work on partnerships i'm wondering if, if there's any projects that you're working on at the moment that are particularly exciting you'd like to share with us and the listeners
3: yeah absolutely i mean there's 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 so many um, i mean one of the ones that i find really exciting is about elevating ringo to not just be a parking payment service but potentially a payment service for um all vehicle Related payments. So, one example with that would be tolling. So, tolling is part of a wider initiative focused focused on moving up the customer journey, as we discussed previously. But that also inc- includes fuel payments. So, paying for potentially fuel at uh, a uh, station forecourt, EV charging, of course. So, Ringo already has um, the entire UK EV charging map integrated into the the Ringo app itself. So, you can search and navigate to EV charging points. But over time, we would really like to um, enable access to those EV charging points. Anyone that's Um, knows anything about EV in the UK knows that the charging infrastructure is extremely fragmented I'm myself um, an EV driver Uh, I think we're still classed as an early adopter maybe although um, if you look at the numbers of EVs registered last year I don't think that'll be uh, the early adopter status for too much longer but the market does need bringing together and obviously uh, at the moment it's a patchwork quilt um, across the country of some parking operators offering free parking for EVs um, reduced parking for evs but at some point evs are going to become the norm and that's going to lead to some decision making required by local authorities to understand how are they're going to begin enforcing parking relating to evs that are charging or not charging and using those bays in a different way so we think we're really well positioned to potentially aggregate that access to ev charging points you know we have an app that is you know used by 18 million registered motorists in the uk we are collecting can see all of the data relating to the the, the types the fuel types of vehicles being used so we can see across the uh, across each local authority how many electric vehicles are uh, in use and how that is growing so those are just some you know so tolling fueling payments and ev charging those are three are just the exciting products that we're working on uh, at the moment and bringing those to market
0: do you think, um, just think adding on from what you're saying, do you think consistency is important with that kind of thing? Because um, just thinking if you live in one local authority area and then you go to another, is do you think that's important to keep it consistent across the whole of the UK?
3: Do you mean in terms of parking?
0: Yeah. And it, how... Is it like a
3: parking app experience, for example?
0: Yeah, and how people just thinking of the EV um, environment and yeah. that that's going to be adopted In the next sort of 15 years, by many more people, that actually, if it's different in every local authority, the way you charge and how you're issued a parking ticket and that kind of thing for stopping and charging, do you think that's going to cause confusion across um, the users?
3: Yeah, with EVs, as I say, the market today is extremely fragmented. Um, There are many, many dozens of different services, apps, memberships that you need to be a part of to be able to access the charge network wherever you go. So there will need to be some level of aggregation or a layer that sits on top of that um, that that enables you to any and not have to sign up to multiple services and you can liken that to parking as well interoperability as we would phrase it i.e the ability to go from one local authority area to, to the next and and know with confidence that you can use the same service to pay for your parking is really important and we see this all the time um, when we're rolling out new local authorities that uh, have a presence of Ringo around them, just how quickly people uh, adopt to that and how many existing users we see parking in the early days of that new local authority coming live with Ringo. So it is really important. I think we will be moving towards a future where um, hopefully you will be able to pay for um, your parking by the method of your choice, by the app, by the cashless service of of your choice, wherever you are. I think that is ultimately the future of where the market will get to.
1: And we did cover the, um, you know, the potential of a national parking platform uh, with B2, with who, who seemed very enthusiastic about the idea, which mm. is great news. So you've touched on some of this, but really, I'd like to maybe distill it into, into three key themes around COVID, which has undoubtedly changed the landscape of parking. What do you think are the three key themes for parking over the next few years?
3: Um, what do I think the big three thing, key themes So the three key themes that I think are going to be crucial to parking over the next few years are first of which probably be big data. So it's about how much data are you able to collect, unlock, transform and then utilise as part of developing your parking policy or parking strategy. So, um, you know, gone are the days where, you know, you are collecting pounds of coins in the machine and really you've got no idea of um, or ability to track when each ticket was purchased, how long it was for, when that ticket purchase was made. And that's something that a cashless service gives you straight out of the box access to that data. So you can look at behaviors, you can look at habits, and then you can see whether the, you know, the restrictions, the charges, the orders that you have in place are really fit for purpose, both today and into the future. You can also use, um, you know, the benefits of big data to to track those policies. So when you make a change, for example, introducing emissions-based parking, you can see how the needle moves in terms of your split of fuel types over a period of time. So you can really see where you have um, made a difference to the parking habits um, of, of people entering your area. So I think big data is going to be absolutely key um we've talked about customer journey i think that's another key pillar uh, another key theme people are going to expect more information about where they can park where they can go how safe it's going to be for them when they get there so anything we can do to help move parking up the customer journey um, is going to be a key pillar and then as we, we talked about as well the environment so um one of the key things that COVID and the lockdown taught us was that um, when people don't travel very much, the air quality gets a lot better. And I think it's really key um, for to not see a kind of springboard effect back to the pre-COVID levels. And when we think about, you know, a, maybe a short short-term patronage to more private vehicles, that's a real risk of seeing, you know, potentially even worse air quality than we had before. So it's about putting strategies in place that can help us combat that, things like emissions-based parking um, that can really help make a difference um, to discourage people from taking more polluting modes of transport and encourage them to, you know, walk, cycle of course um and 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 use uh, more sustainable methods of transport
0: like it sounds like the account management that you do is with cities mainly rather than Mm -hmm. rural do you think there's a difference in the the approach
3: yes i think there is a big difference between um the needs of local authorities large city local authorities um as well as smaller borough maybe district maybe even town councils so i I mentioned in my introduction so I've, I've now worked with over 75 of our um, local authority customers and when i started out some of my customers were small parish councils um, as well as district and boroughs so i really have had a, a broad um, experience and i've got uh, you know worked with many many um, parking offices from across the across the um the country from different size councils so yeah some of the some of the differences between the two um I think the biggest difference that I can pick out is in terms of cashless parking, um, every single local authority in the UK is on a journey with cashless parking. Uh, cashless parking, you know, used to be considered a, a disruptive technology against the kind of status quo of pay and display machines. It's now the norm. You know, over 50% in most cases of uh, a local authority's pay and display income comes through cashless parking as opposed to pay and display machines. And that's certainly more true the larger the local authority, because the cost savings that they can achieve from uh, things like machine reduction. For example, are, are obvious, and that, benef- and that benefits case and the business case is really easy to see. So, it's very typical for a large city local authority for us to see 80, 90, and in many cases, 100% Ringo with no pay and display machines. Certainly, um, further out, you have uh, borough and district councils that may not be as far along that journey, but have varying degrees of wanting to go along that journey. So, it's about um, finding the best way for them to. Um, have as much cashless parking as possible. I think one of the challenges we have um, at at borough and and district level is cashless parking is still seen as uh, a disruptive technology. I have the cost that I'm used to having for collecting my pay and display income it's my machine it's my cash collection it's my maintenance contract for that machine and I bundle all of those costs for that machine provision into my core parking charge but with cashless parking because it was that disruptive technology typically the councils are not used to having to to pay for that so therefore the cost is usually passed on to the motorist in the form of a convenience fee now most larger Uh, cities and London boroughs have in many cases done away with that and 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 agreed to absorb the cost albeit a lower cost for cashless parking so it's about finding out where that uh, smaller local authority may be on that cashless journey and doing everything that we can to help support them to you know help transfer some of those costs and reduce some of the traditional overheads as well as provide the motorist and this is the key bit with an equitable experience so i believe um, that and we believe that a motorist shouldn't have to pay any more for using a parking app which is usually uh, the most convenient way to pay for your parking Um, but at the moment uh, as i say most uh, most costs for a pay and display machine are bundled into the core parking tariff you normally have to pay a little bit more for app but that is definitely changing
0: Mm. That ties into the, um, the question I was going to ask you, um, which is what what do you think the barriers are for those local authorities that aren't um, taking up as much cashless parking? I was just wondering, because one of the conversations we've been having quite a lot is um, around data literacy and whether that and asking and knowing the benefits of it, whether that's something that you've come across or if you think that part of it isn't to do with the cost.
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that you, you've you've hit the nail on the head there, Jerry. It's it, it, you have to be tracking these things in order to know. I mean, uh, when I started out back in 2016, um, you'd be amazed by the number of local authorities that simply weren't really um, tracking the split between cashless parking or phone parking and pay and display income. They saw it as one lump um, of, of revenue and didn't think about the split that's changed dramatically there is there's hardly a local authority out there now that isn't tracking that split um, and fi- and asking us for ways to help them improve that split um, and you know it's not just about we talk about costs um, around around pay paying display machines it's not just the pounds shillings and pence it's also the environmental cost right because if you're having to collect cash from a machine that's you know a, a van that has to drive around multiple times and you know that has a carbon footprint so there are not just you know direct monetary costs associated with PD provision there are also costs relating to the environment that need to be factored in as well to that total cost of ownership.
1: Thank you Chris that's uh, been a great conversation and we really uh, uh, value your support of Parking Scotland and so thank you for being a sponsor um, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you at a physical event uh, maybe summer onwards when, uh, when restrictions raised.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to uh, attending the Parkex soon and, yeah, really pleased to be supporting Scotland. Thanks very much for inviting us on.